0: Well, this is the third lesson in John's Gospel since we started it three weeks ago. The first week, of course, we were looking at an introduction. We were looking at uh, sort of an overview, a bird's-eye view of this, what's referred to as the fourth Gospel, or the third Gospel, fourth Gospel, excuse me. And it is, has differences from not dis- differences in terms of substance, but just differences in terms of the difference there is in the three apostles that wrote the three synoptic gospels, and then the uh, apostle who is reading or writing this particular gospel, that is the apostle John, the brother of James, who was martyred, The um, one of the three main disciples that followed Jesus, there were Peter, James, and John. And here's John being allowed and providentially by God to live longer than the rest, quite a bit longer, some decades longer, as he suffered under Emperor Domitian to be uh, banished onto the Isle of Patmos. He had been in Ephesus for a few years, and we don't know how many exactly, but he was there for quite some time, then out on Patmos after Domitian uh, left that office and Nerva took over as emperor he was brought back he was allowed his freedom again in Ephesus so he's had quite a run and he's learned a lot and as was recorded in extra biblical history from back all the way back to the early church fathers uh, there was a need for a, another gospel to be written already the churches had strayed that's why we see the uh, letters in revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 rebuking the churches, the seven churches in Asia Minor. And John surely is aware of those things, but he's also aware, of course, of hundreds of years worth of Greek philosophy from Plato to Aristotle to Socrates to all the rest that wrestled with the concept that they referred to as the Logos. The Logos is the universal mind, It is with capital letters that we use words to define the Logos that John reveals when we say he is reason. The Logos is wisdom. The Logos is knowledge. Uh, We can't come to an understanding of truth apart from it, or him, as we discover. And a early... uh, theologian, Jewish theologian named Philo, had taken that concept a bit further as he found in their scriptures at the time what we call our Old Testament scriptures. He could see what the Greek philosophers were wrestling with and finding it that it emerged in the Old Testament scriptures. That had been around for a long time. So this is the culture. This helps us to understand culturally what What John is trying to address, and he addresses it right out of the gate. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. We'll be looking at verse 2 and 3, where verse 2 pretty much reiterates things. And we'll look at why. He was in the beginning with God. In verse 3, all things were made through him without him was not anything made that was made let's pray father we thank you for taking us <clears> through the writing of the apostle john to the shores of what as it turns out is quite an ocean quite a magnificent ocean of theology helping us to understand how it is we are to understand anything rightly. Helping us to see the truth revealed, even the truth personified in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that revelation. Most of all, we thank you for his willing sacrifice that we commemorate today in Holy Communion. We thank you, O Lord, to see what truth looks like. We see, we know that God is love, as the apostle had written in his first epistle, that you are love. And so we see that, what love actually looks like in your son as a man and as this apostle is now writing about you. So much, Lord, to grasp and grapple with. We have limited Minds, limited capacities to grapple with such great and profound truths. But it's necessary that we do. We will spend eternity doing that. An inexhaustible God, in terms of who you are, we will learn forever. You who never, in any instance, at any moment, ever learned anything. You are omniscient. You know all things at all times. You see all things at all times. You are El Alam, a God who sees. You are El Elyon, the God who is most high. You are El Shaddai, the God Almighty, the Almighty Creator God, Elohim. We thank you for our beloved Adonai, our Master. Thank you, Lord, for all of your names, Yahweh, and then Jehovah. As we look at making Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah our banner and flies the flag over our hearts when you are in full residence there. Help us, Lord. There is so much here in such limited time, but that's the challenge you've given us as you've created this context for us. You've placed a clock on the wall and you've challenged us. May we meet that challenge by your grace and by the illuminating of these truths. In Christ's name we pray and for your glory's sake. Amen. Giorgia Meloni. Anyone hear that name? The newly elected prime minister for Italy. And I was listening to a 14-minute speech that she gave And it was quite compelling. She's considered a conservative, but not in the full vein that we understand conservatism, social conservatism. But it it was very conservative, nevertheless, and has a lot in common with the things that we would embrace. But there are those opposed to her that are referring to her as a fascist. As a fascist. And we've had a former president of ours called a fascist. So my point isn't to talk about politics. My point is how important words are and how important we understand that it is how we use words, words, which is the English interpretation of translation of the Greek term logos. This is critically important. Words are important. And we see them bandied about destroying people or building them up. That's what words will do. These are our times. Our times are being challenged now with words that have no meaning because they're false. They're lies. But how do the men and women in the body of Christ discern what's true and what's not? Because those things define what 's evil and what 's good, what 's right and what 's wrong and so I listen to hear her perspective, and she 's all about pro family and um, just a number of conservative values and so on and to have her compared to benito mussolini is is remarkable but there's there 's no there seems to be no limit with the words that are being used to disparage, to cast aspersions on people, to destroy them. Um, I like how she finished with a G.K. Chesterton quotation. Uh, he wrote this a hundred years ago. Fires will be kindled to testify two plus two make four. Swords will be drawn to prove that leaves are green in summer. She finishes with this that time has arrived and we are ready. Grazie, Italia. Are we ready? That question struck me as I heard how she finished there, and I'm ready to say, give her a standing ovation myself. In 14 minutes, she knocked it out of the park powerful. We wouldn't agree again with everything, but I mean, this is something's happening in the world. You're aware of that. So are we ready for that? Well, how can we make ourselves ready? There couldn't be a better way to be ready to deal with issues of words and the ideas that they carry than to solicit and be part of the divine mind or, or to understand that the communication of the divine mind those ideas, that's a capital I, by the way. The idea. Plato wrestled with it. The, there's an idea that gives it's given birth, and you see things come to, to form. There's a great power. There's a there's an intention, there's a reasonableness, there's logic to it. Yes. And he referred to them as forms. These these ideas, these forms. Well, there's clearly, I think we can all agree, a dearth of doctrinal depth right now in the body of Christ, at least as it comes to meeting this battle, right? I'm concerned. Just for myself, I want to be ready. If a politician in, in Italy can be that resolved and convinced and self-assured and confident, don't we have much more reason to be for what we've been given, what has been revealed to us is nothing less than God Himself speaking to us. These words are that important. The dearth of doctrinal depth that we have in the body of Christ now, it's, it's sad. It's heartbreaking. Even Christians or Christians that go by that name will disparage those who put too much Emphasis on what? Do- doctrine. doctrine. The teachings of the living Christ? How so? When should we stop? When should we say, that's enough. I've learned enough. I've read enough. This was... I had a, one of my favorite professors in seminary was uh, Dr. Stephen Wellum. Bright, bright man. If you get anything of his, read it. He wrote an article that I was compelled by called Christ Over All. And he wrote this. Disciplined biblical and theological thinking has taken a back seat to other cultural concerns. Yeah? Satan's most effective weapon is what? Distraction. (laughs) Get you reading these things. Let's dangle this in front of your eyes. Can you believe that? How about we focus, as we were saying in the men's group yesterday, on what's true instead of the counterfeit, on truth instead of the lie, so we know how to answer with grace and respect, but we understand what the truth is so that we might answer the lie. C.S. Lewis, and I I have to do... Damage to this. I I, I tried to find it, but years ago I had it. And it was a wonderful point he made. He said that uh, a lie needs to be answered. If for no other reason, then it's a lie. When truth came, he confronted the lie. And it cost him what? His life. So we're here to commemorate. So much so that the current, this is Wellam again, that the current, so much so that the current evangelicalism in the West is a shell of what it used to be. That's why we read people from 500 years ago. That's why we find it compelling. We're like, "Wow, wow, this is helpful. What happened to us? In... He says, In many of our churches, basic biblical and theological knowledge is at an all-time low. End quote. I think that's a general way of putting it. Would you agree? It takes work to understand. Moreover, it takes desire. It takes love. The love of Christ compels us. 2 Corinthians 5.14, yeah? The love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ, the one who satisfies fully, leaves me unsatisfied to know more about Him. But there was no more pointed way of making this point than recently the the survey that came out by Ligoniers. Have you read it? The theological, the state of theology. They do this every couple of years, I understand. They pulled the body of Christ to see where things are. I'm not going to give you the whole thing, but with regard to what we're talking about here this morning, with regard to where we happen to be providentially in the scriptures, in John's gospel, let me share this with you. So they sampled Christians, those who considered themselves Christians, and here's the criteria They considered themselves evangelicals. They had to strongly agree that the Bible was the highest authority. Remember these now as you hear the results. I agree that the Bible is the highest authority. Trust in Jesus as Savior. And believe in the atonement and eternal life through Jesus Christ alone. Now, let's be honest. If you or I heard that, we'd say, this person's a believer. That seems to check all the boxes. Watch this. Here's with regard to the deity of Christ. This statement was made and then you had to respond. You either agree or disagree. With regard to the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. How many how much percentage that meets the criteria of that description would you say agreed with that statement? In 2020, 30%. Almost a third of those that, given that description, we'd say, well, they're, they're a Christian because, yeah, I mean, they trust in Christ. They, the Bible's the highest authority. They believe in the atonement, eternal salvation through Jesus Christ alone. 30% agreed with it. That's almost one in three didn't. Two years later, 2022, 43% agree. I'm telling you, when Jesus said the many and the few, it's getting smaller all the time, isn't it, sadly? That's almost half. They will not be allowed in heaven That's heresy. That's rank heresy. What we have, they they could just as well cut this entire, all 21 chapters of John's Gospel out of the Bible. One more. With regard to the Bible as objective truth, how many of those do you think agreed with this statement? the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not really true. I mean, are you serious? Really? Anybody agreed with that? How about in 2020, 15% agreed with it? How about that going up to 26% in just two years? We'd better, no. We'd better, like... Maloney, in Italy, be ready. Choose you this day. Is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God? Peter answered rightly, didn't he, in Matthew 16. Who do you say that I am, Peter? He asked that question of every single human being that ever lived. Who do you say that I am? And if it's not, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, you're not saved you're not we are headed closer and closer to what's called universalism those who compromise and they're this is another alarming thing and it just defies reason they're the ones that have the most the biggest and most popular churches and followings those that can't can't it, agree that other religions won't be in heaven. It's not that we are exclusivists. It's that the scriptures are. Our gospel is. Jesus is. Psalm 118, verse 60. The sum of your word is truth. I'm glad that he gives it to us this concisely so we can't, muck it up, we have to just obviously expose our hearts that we just don't want to agree with it. So the Bible isn't just a compendium of true statements. It's truth itself revealed that we have here. The living and active Word of God, Hebrews 4.12. It's alive. It's alive. It's fluid with His voice. He speaks. And we're to speak. We're to speak truth if in fact we would love, right? Containing the power to shed light in dark places, that's the Word of God. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Jesus Himself to the Father. I don't think He would get it wrong in a moment like that. Your Word is truth, and it also lets us know that it is the means of sanctification. That is, that it will cleanse you, it will purify you, and God's about the business of doing that. He's done everything that it takes to do that. So the Bible isn't just words from or of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word itself. We're seeing him revealed in this gospel quite literally. You want to know Jesus? Open up the book and read. Engage what vestige of reason that you still remains in the image of God that remains in you and read and pray that he would help you understand and he will come off the pages of the scripture, leap into your mind and find his way into your heart where he belongs so he can get to work. And this is what he uses to do that. A lifelong endeavor, isn't it? Nash said, the correspondence between the mind of God and the mind, the human mind, that is grounded in the Logos, makes possible a human understanding of the divine communication of truth, end quote. Why would we not avail ourselves of that? Why would we spend more time listening to lies and fabrications and manipulations deceptions than we do the truth So our banker was sharing with the men's group the way to spot the counterfeit many of you have heard this before is to major on the real so that you can spot any counterfeit that might come along. Instead of busying your time being enamored by studying how wrong all the other counterfeits are, because you know what? Anything that veers from the truth is temporal. There's this counterfeit, then that counterfeit, then there's another counterfeit, and it just keeps coming. It morphs, it splits, it fragments. The lie is intended to do that. The liar from the beginning is the murderer from the beginning. He's not satisfied with anything but the death of the church and the death of marriage and your quite literal death yourself. He hates the one whose image you bear and in whose heart you belongs to. Carl Henry said, since the eternal Logos himself structures the created universe and the conditions of communication, logical connections are eternally grounded in God's mind and will and are binding for man in view of the imago Dei, the image of God. They're binding for us In that endeavor, that God himself is about the business of doing. It's a reclamation project. He's reclaiming something that belongs to him. And he wants it back. He'll take it back. He loves you enough to do that. The truth will do it. The word, the logos. Through knowledge, capital K will inform the understanding. This poor 12-year-old girl, in the example I was talking about, first hour that was in the article, who went to her mother, and she was all downcast. She said, what's wrong with you? And she said, I want to go to a, a mental health or some care facility because I really think I'm a boy. What sort of a crazy, upside-down world is this? That we would bend the knee to such an overt, obvious lie. That's helping her. That's constructivism. That's the legacy of Jean Piaget and others. We say you construct your own reality. You construct your own reality. You construct your own meaning. You make your own world. And guess who the God of that world is, by the way? You. Constructivism. That, that is rife in the schools. It's now moving past. It's been in the colleges for, and universities for some time, hasn't it? But it's moved down. High schools. Now it's into the grammar schools, the grade schools, the youngest And they have the bold tenacity to say to the parents, you have no business here. Once you drop that child off at this school, they're ours. You have no business. They're passing laws to keep you from parenting your child. With what? With the truth. Oh, you'll damage the child. If they say a girl says she's a boy, she's a boy. A boy says he's a girl. That's my child. I'm saying, you know what? I'm... Let's find out. Let's go to the, let's go to the hospital. And we're going to get a chromosome test. And if it's two Xs, you're a girl. If you're an XY, you're a, you're a boy. That, my friends, is science. Oh, it's t- more confusing than that. So we're going to take other words, gender, identity, and we're going to. We're going to brutalize those terms. We're going to take them into our warehouse. Those terms belong to us. Our identity is in Christ. And in the fact that when He created, He created a man and He created a woman and He put one man and one woman in marriage. Did you ever think that you'd have to make that statement again in your lifetime? It's lunacy but they're absolutely, no, I say vehemently sincere about it. And in this cult of niceness, you either bend your knee to that or you're going to be punished. We will punish you. It's all over ideas which become ideologies. The science of understanding, epistemology, this origin and source of truth. Where is it coming from you, for you? Where does it come from for me? Where do I go to find truth? The particular blog that I think is right, or the some Twitter feed that some post. What makes us, when we read those things, go, "That's not true." The truth alone builds discernment. As MacArthur often says, the church isn't perishing from liberal theology. The church perishes from what? Lack of discernment. Lack of discernment. You've thrown my words behind your back, the psalmist wrote. You've taken them and thrown them behind your back. Who is it that... I'm, I'm curious. Who is it we're following? That makes me nervous, doesn't it? That make me, makes me apprehensive. Your words. Your words are you. Those words came into my life. It breathed life into me. A dead man. And I belong to him. You. you see, there's possession there. So the biblical Logos includes, I got a list of some of these ideas, these terms, the divine mind, the divine idea, all capital. These all come from God and are communicated to us. Divine reason, divine wisdom, and divine knowledge. How does life have meaning? That's how. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 2. So, to grow in Christ's likeness, it's imperative that this knowledge comes from one source exclusively. One, we just sang that powerful song, one. I want to unpack some things on these concepts from a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to look at verse 1 through 3. Paul writes something curious, given what we're looking at right now from John's gospel. He writes, We know that all of us possess knowledge. Well, sure. This knowledge, the knowledge that man conjures up on his own, which satisfies his pride, satiates his understanding, it puffs up. That's what he says. This knowledge puffs up, but... Oh, so there's another kind. Yes. But love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. This is a monumental passage right here. This Just this handful of verses. When you have the word ought, what do you have? It's the same as the word should. You have something moral, yeah, command, right? This is how you ought to know. What have you neglected? Why have you turned from the communication that I brought through my son? You're not knowing as you, as you ought to know. The C- Corinthian church, you know what a mess that was already. In Paul's day, just a few short years, and it was a mess. He's trying, to, he's trying to untangle all the mess that there is in Corinth. And then he says, coming off that statement, love builds up. So that it's implying the other does what? Tears down. Words do one or the other, as we'll see. He doesn't know as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Great news. So, I love God, you love God. That means you, he has known you for, for how long? Like, pretty long time, right? <laughs> this expression, you know, the RK, the beginning, like, before that? Remember, He created time. So from there, you just got to let it go, right? Yeah. This is intimate. This is powerful. He who is love is saying that He's known us for a long time if we love Him because as Romans 5.5 5 says, the love of the believer has been what? For the believer has been what? Shed abroad in his heart. Romans 5.5. 5. So he's poured his love into those that he's known from before time began. What does that have to do with knowledge? This, Lagos, this whole concept, the divine communication that was broken in the garden is now reestablished. We have access to the mind of God. How about that? And yet we dither over decisions we're making in our families, right? Should we move? Should I get another job? I mean, should we do this? Should we do that? And dithering and dithering. And it's like, this is intensely practical and helpful. And why don't we go to the Word? Because then we access the mind of God to find out. This is why we are Exegetes, This is why we are expositors and this is why we are biblical counselors. This is why out of a threefold purpose we hang on the wall, we hold to the supremacy of scriptures. Can you make that too high? If you thought that you can turn to the psalmist who says, I've elevated, I've exalted my word and my name above all things. And you'll see a little asterisk there because it's just as faithful to the rendering to say, I have exalted my word above my name. It's fair treatment of it. Why? Because he is the word. And if we're going to be able to communicate God to other people, we had better understand the knowledge God has for us coming from his word. So the first knowledge only leads to conceit. We were talking about conceit in the first hour. What that actually is, but the second knowledge he's talking about, that you ought to know this way uh, if anyone loves. You ought to know this way if anyone loves. What does that have to do with anything? Knowledge ha- is very intimate in God's economy of words. The gnosis, the epignosis, this intimate knowledge that we see in a marriage. We are, are we not the bride of Christ, yeah? He is the, the husband. It's powerful. It's intimate communion, which leads us to do things for other people outside of ourselves. That's what it leads to. Love uses truthful words. Here's our conclusion on this portion of it to build up, not to tear down. The reason I put that in there is to address this whole issue. They've, they steal words from God's economy all the time. That is, those who are part of the lie. And so let's call this constructivism. Love builds up. Oikadomeo. Oikadomeo in the Greek. We get our word economy. We get our word household. From that series of words, it also means to construct. Let's not let them take that concept from us. We shouldn't sit blithely by while they use what they're calling constructivism to tear down souls, to destroy the lives of even the smallest of our children. Let's not let that happen. And the way we prevent that is to access this ourselves so that we can be part of the discussion in the marketplace. So that we have discernment. So that we know how to answer the lie with the truth. The truth from God's word. We need to master this book. Psalm 5 verse 9. For is there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Words either do one thing or another. They either build up or tear down. There's no like neutral, unless our mouth isn't moving, and we're not speaking. And what was our mouth meant for? What was our words meant for? Building up, encouraging one another, exhorting one another. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Not one, but only that which is useful for the purpose of edification, that it might administer what? Grace unto the hearers. Ephesians 4.29. These verses come alive now, now in our conversation about the Logos and how important that is. To build up, to construct what God tear, what, what, what Satan is tearing down across the board in our culture. We go around to the rubble and the mess and we help rebuild it one brick at a time with truth. The truth about who Christ is. The truth that brings accuracy to interpreting our reality and bring real meaning to the lives of our children. Are you with me? So is Maloney, apparently. It's time. She's right. It's time. We'd better be ready. They claim they're ready. We're not going to let the Italians get ahead of us, are we? I hope she's saved. I don't know. Psalm 52, 2-4, your tongue plots destruction. That's what does it. Like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. Boy, if we talked like that around here, the cult of niceness would be coming along with the big bat. You worker of deceit, you love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour oh deceitful tongue you look at Ephesians 4:25 for instance therefore put away what falsehood what are you implying Paul that that's who you were before you knew Christ you used words to build yourself up which would have ended up in your, in your destruction Proverbs um, 12 18-19 I've mentioned this one before. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever. Remember when I was talking about the temporal nature of lies? Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. It's constantly morphing. That's why you can't get a hold of it to try to nail it down with the truth. Morphing is common. It's like, wait a second, when you just said, no, that's not what I meant. No, here's what I meant. And you got to, it's like trying to nail jello to a tree, right? It's trying to track down smoke. It's diabolical. It's deceitful. Charles Hodge, the theologian, wrote this. Mere theoretical or speculative knowledge that is, knowledge divorced from love, always see those connected, tends to inflate the mind, that is, it makes it vain and conceited. It is a great mistake, therefore, to suppose that mere knowledge without religion elevates and refines people or can purify society. Uh-uh. The reason why the philosophy that underlies Augustinianism has stood like A rock in the ocean while other systems rise and fall like waves around it is that it is derived from the word of God and not from human speculation. End quote. There it is. Back to epistemology. Where, what is my source? What is the origin of my source of truth or of knowledge or of understanding? How is it that you understand anything and, and where did that come from? That's an important question for us to ask. But this is why we are committed exegetes and expositors to expose what God is saying because this is the way so that the word then falling on the hearing of those who belong to God, that word can exegete the person. He does it through His Word. That's why that's the emphasis, and it should be for all Christians everywhere. But that requires love. As he said, it requires love. As Paul wrote, love for God, love for man. To love God, one must acknowledge possession. Do you remember Paul on the ship when the angel visited him to reassure everyone that they were going to survive, he said, an angel came from the God to whom I belong, to whom I worship. You remember that? We must see it that way or we're missing something important. I belong to him. There's possession there. The International Critical Commentary says that this is the sure test, love, and love of the highest of all objects, which is the highest form of love, the love of love, capital L itself. This is very different, a very different thing from thinking that one knows something, end quote. Well, kids always are, have all kinds of things to tell us that they know, Right? And you're like, we need to talk, son. Where'd you hear that? I'm not going to be very effective at that if I'm not accessing this myself. Majoring in it, steeped in it, referring to it, applying it, understanding its utter practicality and its power inherent in it. He is known by God, Paul wrote. He is known by God. In that 1 Corinthians 8, verse 3. Gnosko. It's to know as being what one is or professes to be. This is a man who recognizes and by, is recognized and acknowledged by God that he's mine. She's mine. They belong to me. That's what he's saying. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. In this deep sense. 2 Timothy 2.19 But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. When Korah had his rebellion, remember, against Moses and against Aaron? And Moses answered them. You know what he said? This is number 16, 5 and 6. Here's how Moses responded. In the morning, the Lord will show who He is and who is holy and will bring Him near to Him. Why would that be inserted in there? Because of the intimacy of the relationship? The one whom He chooses, He will bring near to Him. Catch your breath a minute. The one whom he chooses, will, he will bring nearer to him. And so he's with me when I cross the water. And it gets rough. He's with me. He doesn't promise me a way around it. He doesn't start blowing up a raft. He doesn't Bring a hot air balloon on so I can float over those trials. No, this is spectacular. I will be with you. You belong to me. Don't you know he's going to hold on to his possessions? The living God himself, El Elyon himself, holds you. The Elohim who created you. The Redeemer. Powerful. I am the good shepherd. It's one of his I am statements in John that we'll be able to see. I can't wait to get there. John ten, John ten fourteen. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice. Verse twenty seven, and I know them, and they follow me. How? I mean, okay. Says, you know, that's beautiful sounding words. Make a great. Song, what does he mean by that? How do you follow Jesus? How do you do that? By responding to the place where he's speaking to you. This is him speaking to you. So, another writer wrote, wrote, one who in this special sense is known by God may safely be assumed to possess what may rightly be called gnosis knowledge and not something which merely generates pride. Some do some call themselves Christians. They know enough of the Bible that it makes them feel good about themselves and they prop themselves up to make sure you understand how right they are. And they could show you where this is how right I am. Okay. He goes on, he has the highest recognition of all in being known by God. That should be the most humbling thing, actually, shouldn't it? It shouldn't puff up like Paul's writing. No, that's knowledge we all have, as he says. We come. That's a, that's a birthright for us in our fallen state. He's not eager to show off in order to gain the recognition of men. End quote. So verse 2 Yeah, that was the introduction. Hope you're not real hungry. Thank you, brother. He was in the beginning with God. John, why are you telling me that again? There's got to be a reason. There's no redundancies in the Scripture. Every word breathed out. Not a jot or tittle will go away, but the whole earth and its universe will go away before that will. So what's the intention here? This kutos in the Greek, this word for he, that's personhood. So what we were talking about when he's using the word logos, this assures us has personhood. Whoever that person is, we're building on this. We're, we're slowly wading our way off the shore into this ocean of theology. It's, it's a he. It's a He. This logos who's eternal is a he and he was with God. So was the past tense again he shows the eternality. John one fifteen, when we get there, John bore witness this is. John the Baptist, and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. What would you think of somebody who said that to you? Are you okay? Is he before you or after you or what? Yes. 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 He was born after me, but he has lived forever. Eternality. Or verse 30 of John 1. This is of he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. <clears throat> that word was keeps showing up. Because he was before all time. Eternality couldn't be denied here. Personhood can't be denied at this point. You would have to, you would have to do damage to the original language. But when he says in the beginning, this is RK again. He's using it again. Same word we see in the Septuagint version of Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, what? God what? Created the heavens and the earth. Who was this? Well, we're going to find out. This word with obviously directly denotes relationship. So whoever it is, this logos is eternal as personhood. It's an eternal person with a capital P I'm sure. But that person is in a relationship because he was with God. And as we learned from verse one, what's the third clause and the word was God. How do we escape all this? We can't. You have deity there. You have deity. You have personhood. You have eternality. You have relationship. But this is what I love. This is what I love. Because we're talking about possession here. We're talking about belonging. You who've never belonged to anyone, not completely. You belong to Him. He is with God. He's with God. That's possession. That's possession. I and the Father, what? One. Okay. I'm going to try to wrap this puny, shriveled up little mind around that. That's why when you ask me about the Trinity, brother, give me a break. Great question. Great question. So verse 3, all things were made through him and without anything, without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, John. <laughs> all things okay, were made through him and without him. By the way, that's where we get the idea of agency. Jesus Christ is the divine agency of all creation. You see? Through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. Why? Because we'll see in another verse, because all things were made through Him, for Him. Yeah. This is the Father God giving as a gift to His Son. I want you to make this And this is for you. But something's going to happen. And I'm going to need you to do something. I'll do it. Because I love them. I love this, Father. I love this. I love them. I would do anything for them. Look at what's beneath me here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. This is our almighty creator God that we're looking at. Isaiah forty-five twelve: I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. Verse 18 of Isaiah 45, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. That's the ultimate divine forms. He's Plato's grasping with, although it always from Plato all the way to Philo, which was lit, He was alive during John's time. It was never acknowledge his personhood. It was always an interpersonal, just kind of a force. And Philo put some scripture to it at least, but he would not acknowledge that this is Christ. John is saying, this is who he is, Philo. This is who he is. All of you who understand fully. Couldn't be more familiar with the term than logos. In this day and time, in this part of the world, it says, I am the Lord and there is no other. So the eternal word, Jesus Christ, is the divine agent of creation. Psalm thirty. 3 verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Now let's go into the New Testament. Hebrews 1 10. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. But Colossians 1 16 and 17 is a powerhouse on this issue for by him, all things were created. Who's he talking about here? Christ. In heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And, this is the verse I refer to, what? And, and for him. This is yours. You're going to make this, and I give it to you. What profound love exists in the Trinity. It's overwhelming. This isn't just in a impersonal deity he calls himself father and son he's intimately involved this the closeness of this it's not just I'll come and save you you belong to me of course I'm coming for you John 1 he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him And then this, Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So eternal wisdom and knowledge attending the eternal word with God in creation. I want you to see this in Proverbs chapter 8. As we're... Trying to draw this thing down a little bit to a close. Proverbs 8, verse 22. Uh, this This is a striking passage on what we're talking about here. Verse 22 of Proverbs 8. Listen to these words. The Lord possessed me. Now, this is a... In the context, you know Proverbs, this is a personification of wisdom, but this wisdom has a capital W, doesn't it? This is the Logos. Which is whom? Christ. Look at the possession there. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work. The first of His acts of old. This gift the Father had given. This this form, this idea of God the Father. Communicating that to his son and his son fulfilling that as he did perfectly on earth for his father, right? Verse 23, ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth when there was no springs abounding with water before the mountains had had been shaped before the hills. I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. This this is glorious. When he established the heavens, when he made... Firm the skies above when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his commands. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, when I was beside him like a master workman and I was daily his delight. Rejoicing before him always. Rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. What sort of love is this? What sort of profound, intimate possession this this logos? I, wisdom, in verse 12, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. So that's the context. But this has grown much larger than just a dictionary definition of wisdom with a small w, doesn't it? This is Him. This is Him. Verse 22, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work. Verse 30, I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. John one eighteen says, No one has seen God at any time, the only God who is at the Father's side. Is this not beautiful? This is sublimely beautiful. This is him who goes by the name Love with a capital L. He has made him known. I will be declared through my words and they will see me. The ones who belong to me will see me. They will hear me, my sheep, and they will know it's me and they'll follow me. I've told you many times before, the only true way I know myself personally that I belong to Him is how I respond to His Word. If you get someone that falls in maybe the categories, sadly, that we saw in the survey at the beginning, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I believe in the atonement. I believe in the high authority of the Scripture, and I believe, I trust in in Jesus. But you're not following Him through His Word. He's speaking to you just like he spoke to the disciples and then they wrote it down and he still speaks today this moment this hour what's he rejoicing in rejoicing in his inhabited world delighting in the children of man all things were created through him this is agency colossians 1:16 for him and these he delights in he rejoices in all the time our union with Jesus Christ is not predicated on obedience to him but the blessed intimacy of this communion is Listen to this as so we're finishing up here from John fourteen twenty to 24. Listen to how, how optimistic this is and how zealous he is in his love for those who belong to him. In that day, you will know, the right kind of knowledge, that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is, it is, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Well, this can sound sort of enigmatically if you're standing there while he's saying it. So Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, I don't blame him for asking this question. Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me. If anyone loves me. He will keep my word. And my father will love him. And He will come to Him. We will come to Him and make our home with Him. This is where we need to stop. It is enough. If you hear these things today and this hasn't been your relationship this hasn't been the way you've worshipped God this hasn't been what you've understood with regard to salvation experience even if you've claimed it for a number of years settle that now as we pray and after the sermon there's time to pray pray I encourage you to pray that you would know God in Christ in this personal way Receive salvation and have access to the divine mind, to truth, so that we, like the Italians, will be ready to answer the lie. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your patience with us. We thank you for your word, we thank you for how it brings life. We pray, O Lord, that we would understand just exactly what it cost You to restore this creation of Yours, especially those in Your creation who bear Your image and likeness. Help us, O Lord, that we might honor You and find our lives hidden in You For all eternity, this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.